Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Every Wednesday, we discuss all things dogs, from health and veterinary care to training and behavior science. Follow us and join Good Dog's mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I'm Nicole, your breeder community lead here at Good Dog. And I'm so excited to be joined today by Shawnee Wayland, an amazing member of our Good Breeder community. And today we're going to be talking about the importance of selecting foundation stock when beginning your breeding program. For any listeners that are new here, I just want to say welcome. We are so happy to have you here and have you listening. Good Dog is on a mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them by advocating for dog breeders, educating the public, and promoting canine health and responsible dog ownership. We're a secure and free online community created just for dog breeders, and we're committed to empowering dog breeders with technology. If you aren't yet a member of our community, we invite you to learn more about our mission and apply to join at gooddog.com slash join. And as always, you can find that link in our show notes. So to kick things off, I'm going to pass things over to you, Shani, to briefly introduce yourself, your breeding program, and your breed. So take it away. Thank you so much, Nicole, and hi, everybody. It's an honor to be here, and it's an honor to be part of Good Dog. I've really enjoyed it the last one to two years. I'm not sure exactly how long I've been part. Just to tell you a little bit about myself, as Nicole said, I'm Shawnee. I breed Leon Burgers. Leon Burgers is a giant working breed. They come from Germany, and they're fairly rare in the United States, although they are picking up popularity. We actually don't know their numbers because so many people don't report, which is part of being a good breeder, is ensuring that you report through all the health systems and the clubs. But we estimate there to be about 1,200 in the States now. Oh, wow. That's a ton. It is. It is a ton. I've been working on my breeding program for about seven years now. It is not a fast thing to get into, but it's a love effort, so to speak. Yeah. And we're definitely going to dive into exactly why starting a breeding program comes with so much patience. And like you just said, it's taken you so many years to get yours started because you wanted to do it the right way. So we're definitely going to dive into that. And I know you previewed a lot of it for me. I'm excited to get into it. But just to start off with health testing, you kind of alluded to it in what you just said. How do you incorporate health testing into your program and why is it so important to you? I'm going to reverse that question a little bit, if you don't mind, and just say it is so important to me as a breeder and a breeder that is very concerned about longevity and health and temperament in our breed, but also in the broader scope for my puppy buyers, for my long-term goals, which we'll go into later, but anything having to do with the health of the dog you have to have the health testing because that's the only thing that says, you know what, you have the best chance possible. Is that 100% guarantee you're going to have a healthy dog? Absolutely not. And I'll go over the specifics of what we test for, but given X, Y, and Z that are usually problematic to dogs, yours don't have that problem at this time. In the Liam Berger world, We're a dying breed and we have a closed stud book, which means we do not allow any dogs outside of our breed to be bred. 
and it's causing us a problem. The Leonbergers were almost wiped out after World War II. There was literally nine dogs left. So all of our dogs are somewhere related to each other, which causes concerns because they are all essentially inbred to the point that even if we go way outside of what we might think is our own breeds or our own lines, they're still the equivalency of about a brother sister. So the most genetic testing that you can possibly do for your breed is the best. In Leonbergers, we require elbows and hips, like many of breeds do, especially the larger breeds. I add knees to it because I try and get the major structural points. We require cardio and thyroid and eyes. We also do specific panels for polyneuropathy, but I'll hold on there in case you have any questions. I think that's such a great way to kick things off because you and I have talked about how important it is for puppy buyers to even understand (laughs) everything you just talked about. Sometimes people want a dog so badly, which is wonderful, but they don't realize that Like you just said, there were nine of these dogs at one point, and that was the only amount of Leonbergers that were around. Like, that's really crazy to me, just learning that (laughs) for the first time. And I think it's just so amazing to know that you're doing all of these tests and why you're doing it. So how do you make your puppy buyers understand all that you're doing for your dogs? Do you think, is it something that interests them once they know more about health testing and how it relates to the breed? To be honest, it's a requirement. If you're going to have one of my puppies or so many of the responsible breeders that I know of, not just in Leonbergers, but throughout many of the other breeds is too. Yes, we want our puppy buyers to have an interest in the health testing and what it means. We do a lot of educating. So, you know, maybe they won't get a puppy from me, but if they're going to go out and look, I'm going to say, these are the things that you look for. And this is why it's so important. I think one of the most common things I hear from people is, I don't want a show dog. I don't need to go to a good breeder because I don't want a show dog. And my answer to them, and it's a sincere answer is, don't you want a healthy dog? Don't you want a dog that is bred the best for longevity and health and temperament? Because all of those are what's required for a show dog, but it should also be required for what you're looking for, regardless of if you take your dog to an actual show or not. So we do a lot of education. In fact, so much more education do we do than actual breed puppies if you're a a good breeder all the time. You know, I have a seven page application. Most really good breeders have very long, very specific puppy applications. And then we go to a phone interview, we do home checks. We often have them go to a dog show. If they've never met a Leonberger, I will not give them or sell them or offer them a puppy because you can't understand unless you spent time with them, especially a giant dog. How much room do they take up in their house? I mean, just, you know, understanding some of those things. But even with any breeds, you know, Labradors are fabulous dogs, but they're high energy. So regardless of what, if you go to one of the hounds, you know, they'll take off on you because that's what their job is. So it is important for good breeders to educate for health, for traits, and for puppy owners to do their research as well. Yeah, I mean, that's so much of what we're trying to do at Good Dog also. What you said about Labradors requiring a lot of energy or (laughs) Leonbergers just being a huge dog and you need to know what comes with owning a ginormous dog. 
so much of what we're working to do is educate the public before they make their decisions on what dog is the best for their family or their lifestyle, because there are so many right. groups out there. Sometimes it's just hard to know what's Absolutely. Pick. So it's great that you're doing that also, and that good dog can work with breeders like yourself and really make sure that we're sharing everything about your breed that you want us to, and that we're putting out the right education about the Leanberger breed. So it really is such a symbiotic relationship between the two. Can I add one thing, Nicole? I'm sorry to cut you off. I didn't mention, I looked it up so I could say it appropriately, but four important health tests that I quickly alluded to, but just for the education piece that are required and you must look at in the Leonbergers are the LPN1, LPN2, LPPN3, and LEMP. These are all diseases specific to Leonbergers. So a lot of people wouldn't know to ask for them. And they all have to do around different forms of neuromuscular diseases. And they're all just kind of collectively called laryngeal paralysis. And it's all on the OFA website, which is the Orthopedic Foundation for Animals or something like that. But all of these tests are listed on there too. I just wanted to get that in real quick. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's important for people to understand that just because there are I would say like the more standard health tests, just to put it very simply, there are different kinds of illnesses or diseases that specific breeds do suffer from. So it's really great for people to understand that really responsible breeders of those dogs, they know what those diseases and illnesses are, and they know what to have them tested for just to make sure that they are giving the best chance possible to have the healthiest dog. So it's great to mention that. And thinking back to seven years ago, right? When you <laughs> first decided to start your breeding program, thinking back long ago, seven years ago, what were the first steps you took to learn about foundation stock and ultimately find the right dogs for your program? That's a great question because there is a lot of thought that goes to it. For my specific history, I bred sport horses and also a very rare line of Maniki Arabian horses before I got into dogs. So I know a lot about breeding and I knew a lot about looking at pedigrees and those types of things. So some of that is transferable to dogs, which really did help give me a step up. But the first thing I did after identifying a breed that I love, and I saw it first of all in Westminster. I think that's where a lot of us find breeds that we're interested in. But I started researching the breed very intensely. So I went to the parent website of the Leonberger Club of America and I looked and read everything I could get my hands on through official sites, not just random websites about the breed. What are the pros? What are the cons? Again, I researched what health issues there may be because I knew to do that from going through horses. But then I studied. I mean, I studied about them. I started going to dog shows to look for good breeders. I learned that the Leonberger Club of America, as most breeds, have a listing of their own approved breeders. So once the club lists you, you basically have to fit certain criteria. It's not a guarantee you're going to get a good breeder. But it's a pretty good guarantee that there has been some checking on them. And now, of course, we have a good resource like Good Dog, too, which helps. (laughs) So once I established that, then I found a breeder. I told the breeder very specifically what my goals were that I wanted to breed. I didn't just want that. And so that took some extra conversation. But I talked to several breeders about what my long-term goals were and started mentoring with 
multiple two people in this breed as well as other giant breeds because a lot of them have the specific structural issues. So I just continued to learn and learn and learn. And it's really helped me so that when I was ready, when I got my first Liam burger, I knew what to expect going into it. That's amazing. It's such a testament to who you are as a person and a breeder as well, that you just wanted to absorb everything possible before you even began. And <laughs> I think sometimes it can be so exciting to start your program and there's so much you want to do and there's an overload of information, but there's something to be said about really taking a step back and evaluating your resources. And I love that you mentioned dog clubs, specifically breed clubs, because they exist for almost every breed. Good Dog has a lot of relationships with many dog clubs, and they've been great to work with. And some of the people in these clubs, they've just been so great to me as a mentor into the dog world to understand everything that breeders need. And I love that you mentioned looking to those clubs as resources, because those are the people that you're going to find that have been doing this for decades. And there's a reason why they're so good at what they do, and they have a lot of information to share. So consulting, even your local club, before you even go to the national club, you have a smaller local club. It's really great to just meet fellow breeder friends, because I know sometimes being a breeder can be a little bit more of an isolating career. (laughs) So having friends that you can even just meet through these clubs, but leaning on them as mentors is so important. So I'm really glad you mentioned that, because I always encourage people that especially write into Good Dog and ask how to get started or they look to us for help. We always say, find your local breed club. They're going to be the best resources possible. And then just thinking back to your program's foundation dogs, I know you and I talked about this a little bit. How did you find them? How did you go about looking for them? When I was researching through the parent companies, I found a list of breeders and I believe I contacted every single breeder on the list. Because I wanted to interview them as well as them to interview me. And I found several of them. So then it was a question of meeting them, meeting the dogs that they had and discussing how each of our goals could blend together. I ended up in the long run importing actually a dog from Norway. So like my first foundation dog was my male Sachmo, and he's a, a domestic dog. So he was bred here in the United States. And his breeder, I went down and I spent weekends with her. I went to dog shows with her. When he was born, she allowed me, which is really unusual, but she allowed me to come and help whelp him. So I was actually there when he born because I invested the time. I wanted to go through the process. I wanted to be with her. So my first one was Sachmo. He actually is the father of my litter that I just had this year, seven years later. <laughs> And so I started off with one and then I went to the shows with him and got him his his championships and a bunch of other titles. And then six months later, I then I picked up my what I thought was going to be my foundation bitch, Kiss Kiss, from an amazing breeder in Wisconsin. Took her, did everything right for her. Her breeder had all of the testing that was required, has great dogs. And Kiss ended up getting a disease she was stuck by foxtail or cheatgrass that a lot of people see and you can see articles on it. And it put a bacterial infection into her spine, which basically caused all kinds of problems. But it also made it so after investing all of this time and energy and money and love because of her spinal issues, I couldn't breed her. 
So that's one of the things that you have to deal with is being a breeder is all your hopes and dreams can get ended with a simple bacteria infection. It almost killed her. Fortunately, she is alive and well. She'll be seven next month. And although she's not breeding for me, she is a very valuable mentor in my pack. So I ended up having to import Genta, who is the mama of my litter this year, a few years later. But that was part of the reason why my breeding program took so long to get started over or to get started. It wasn't that I wasn't involved with it. But when it comes to health testing, or when it comes to making sure you have the best dogs, sometimes it doesn't work out the way you want it to. And sometimes it does. I completely agree. And I know when you initially told me this, I was really excited because I think there's something that you learn so much from your successes, but you learn more from your failures and for the things that didn't work out, something that might have been disappointing. All right, everyone, you are listening to the Good Dog Pod. We'll be right back. Make sure to visit the Good Dog merch store, which has tote bags, t-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, and more. We hope you can proudly wear this merch not only in support of Good Dog, but in support of dog breeders everywhere, because together we're stronger. Plus, Good Dog Pod listeners get 15% off. Visit shop.gooddog.com today and use the code GDP15. I feel like a huge takeaway for me from listening to your story is that it kind of justifies why we health test in the first place and why we go through all of these hoops and why we make sure that our breeding stock, our foundation stock is the most structurally sound that it can be is because of things like that. And I know I said this to you already, but it's such a testament to you that you wanted to be a breeder so badly and start your program, but you were willing to wait to do it responsibly and well. And there's something so great to me about waiting to do things the right way and learning from things that you might've looked back on as a failure or a shortcoming, but really what it did is like led you to the right foundation dogs and the right kind of program. So it's kind of coincidental that you actually told me this when I asked you to come on this episode, because it's actually perfect. I think for a lot of people, if they go through something similar, it can be really discouraging because you're so excited to uh, yes. puppy buyers and get your litter on the ground. And it feels like a huge step backwards. Not an easy thing. It is no. not. It's not a guarantee. Even if you do everything right, it is not a guarantee. And if you are really serious about long-term goals, you'll wait until it's right. Yeah, you said it better than me. If you're willing to be a serious and responsible dog breeder, this shouldn't be a setback for anyone. It should just be a learning. So I'm so glad that you were able to eventually find the right dog to get started. So getting into actually getting started with a program, do you have any advice to offer for new breeders who are getting ready to build a program and how they should think about foundation stock before they get ready for their first breeding? Absolutely. In addition to the things we've already talked about that I did, I would say read and learn. The Avid Dog program that you guys offer, actually, I went through it with this litter and I learned a lot. So do those types of things, you know, read Avid Dog, go through puppy culture, learn about the actual breeding processes. Myra Harris Savant has amazing books and it talks about the different types of breeding you can do from live cover to TCI to surgical and look up and read Sophia Yen's book on training. 
So broaden your scope. Just don't think, oh, I have a boy dog and a girl dog and I'm going to mate them and make a whole bunch of money. Also know that it is very expensive. You need so many supplies and the testing and the vets for your bitch and the stud dog ahead of time. If you're going to do live cover, do you own the stud? If not, you need to think about researching pedigrees and probably working with someone with that because you need to match pedigrees. You need to match and make sure that your what we call mean kinship and coefficiency indexes are good so that they are compatible with their bloodlines and not to interbred. You need to look at temperaments. Do they have temperaments that'll match? Do you have two super hyper dogs that will potentially give you a super hyper litter? Or do you want to have one that's really shy and one that's more outgoing? And then look at structure with the dogs that you're thinking about investing. So these are all things you have to learn about ahead of time before you can actually breed. So if you have a dog that doesn't have the greatest hind end, you would never ever breed to a dog that has not a great high end because you're always looked to better your breed. That should be your first and foremost goal in breeding is to always make it better within your breed. I couldn't agree more with everything you just said. I know it can sound a little bit overwhelming to anyone who's a newer breeder listening to all of these things that you have to do in order to get started and have a healthy program. And that's a lot of the reason why Good Dog even exists because A lot of the things that you just mentioned from expenses, we offer a lot of discounts and benefits with different partners like Embark and Trupanion. We offer a lot of discounts for health testing because we do know how expensive it can get for breeders. Your point about your litter A to Z, we have a lot of courses and breeder education content on Good Dog. And it really does bring you into the whelping experience and the breeding experience from start to finish or from A to Z, however you like to look at it. (laughs) But we really do hope to make breeders' lives easier because everything you just rattled off is an enormous burden and a lot to worry about. And on top of that, then you have puppies that are actually alive and in your home that you have to worry about. And these smaller things like even contracts with your puppy buyers, making sure you're protected legally, all of these things, they add up in your head and they become a lot of worries and they weigh you down. And that's why I think Good dog is so great and hopefully helpful to breeders that we take that burden off of offering legal and business advice, offering educational courses, even giving you a platform and a tool to connect with puppy buyers, even something as easy as getting payment from them and making sure it's secure. So hopefully good dog helps with all of those things that you listed, but it can <laughs> sound very overwhelming at first because the truth is to anyone listening to this who did not know dog breeders do a ton they do so much and they need help and resources and i think sometimes you're definitely a group of people who won't ask for help and <laughs> is that correct would you would you say <laughs> that is absolutely correct and i don't like to ask for help either and i think with good dog you don't have to ask you just know that it's there but I couldn't agree more with everything that you just listed out. It is not a task for the faint-hearted to just decide you're going to wake up one day and be a dog breeder. And it really does take a lot of time and effort and resources. So it's great to let people know. And beyond breed clubs, which you did mention already, what are some other good resources for newer breeders to turn to when they think about selecting their foundation stock? Other than the clubs, 
this answer goes with this one and the previous one. The other thing that's important is to establish a good relationship with a repo vet because they are also a big partner in getting you through. So once you do reach out, you might talk to a repo vet and ask them what's important to them to work with the breeder. A lot of them, like my repo vet now at the University of Washington, won't even work with the breeder unless they follow strict health testing protocols. So that's a good thing to check into. But talk to other breeders. They may be inside your breed. They may be outside your breed because breeding is breeding. There are some specific ones like the Brachycolic ones that have really specific things. But for overall, the process works the same. Go to dog shows. Talk to people at dog shows. It can be the performance part of a dog show, where it's the agility, whether it's obedience. It could be the actual confirmation. There's so many fun dog events now where you can go and talk to different people about your breed or other breeds and how they got started. Ask questions. Asking questions is really how you learn things. Even with me helping other breeders whelp litters so many times, going back to your earlier comment, Nicole, this first litter of mine, I'm as exhausted. <laughs> you don't realize that it's 24-7, especially for the first two weeks. You don't ever leave the puppies, period. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine. I have spoken to so many breeders when they're in that like first week after the puppies have been born. And I'm like, you should not be talking to me. Like, please ignore me for right now because you can just tell that their minds are elsewhere because it's so important. They have lives to take care of. And what you said about really just turning to anyone, even if they're outside of your breed, I think being a dog breeder is such a beautiful and amazing community. And it makes me so happy that a good dog were able to kind of create this bigger sense of community for dog breeders, regardless of what breed it is. I think Everyone has something to learn from one another. And it's cool to use tools like social media. I mean, you and I are, we're not even in the same room. And I feel like we have such a great connection already. And it's cool to kind of expand that idea to bring different dog breeders across the country together. And I love what you said about just not being afraid to ask questions. And in the same sense, don't be afraid to also show off that you know things and share your expertise with other people because you'll find that they're probably wondering the same thing and they're looking for help and you can really be that person to help them change their program, turn things around. So yeah, I couldn't agree more. Those are all great resources that you listed. And, you know, I told you, I love to end interviews on this question because I think the dog world is changing for the better. And there are so many really big positive changes that are happening across all breeds. So I'm curious what your hopes are for not only the future of your program, but the future of the Lamberger breed? Oh, that can be such a long answer to the question. I wish for my program, my breed, and all breeds out there to truly work on longevity and health. In most of the breeds right now, we are just plagued with osteosarcoma and hermangiosarcoma, two deadly cancers that are just taking so many of our dogs that are young. And there's good research that are being done on it. But get involved, you know, if you are starting a program, get involved with any studies that are being done to help that. We're losing too many good dogs too early. And so for all of them, I wish amazing health and longevity. And that's my biggest and bestest goals. 
I love that. I can only wish for the same thing for across all breeds and hopefully with all of the work that responsible breeders like yourself are doing that every person doing their part is just a little bit of the way there. So I could not agree more. And thank you so much for joining us today. It's been so fun to get to chat with you. And I know we've known each other through Facebook for a while. You come to all of the good dog events. and I knew your name before I even knew your voice, but it's been so fun to get to chat with you. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. And I really appreciate being a part of it. And I'm happy to always be there if anyone wants to reach out to me about programs too. So I love being a mentor to people. Thank you so much, Nicole. Of course. And to all of our listeners, we are so happy we could have Shawnee join us and help us understand the importance of selecting breeding stock and all of the work that goes into starting a healthy breeding program before you even begin. Thank you again for joining us. And we will see you back here next week for our next episode. Thanks for joining us on the Good Dog Pod again. We will be back next week with Dr. Mallory Deshant, and she will be talking about detection dogs and the dog-human handler relationship in our third episode about dogs and their sense of smell.